This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. My name is Andrew Clayton, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. You're so much better at the intro than I am. I appreciate that. I've just, I've done it, you know, 500 times. I mean, I'm probably up to like 20-some, and it's still trash when I do it. Well, you have to do it 10,000 times to become an expert (laughs) at it, right? I think that's what the, the old adage is. I just, I wanted to invite you to season four of the Door County Pulse podcast. Oh, we are, yeah, we're coming up on the fourth anniversary, is it? Well, really? I don't I don't break it down by year, actually. I break it down by eras. I break <laughs> it down by um, by seasons because, you know, you had the first season when we just started out. Season two would be recording at home during COVID. Season three would be the return to the office. And now we're in season four in our new podcast studio. Yeah, the new bright, non-dungeon-y Closet yeah, healing it's, podcast. Studio. It's been a long time coming, but now we have a podcast studio that's beautiful and wonderful to sit in, and uh, no longer a closet. And it only took Dave about two years of thinking about it to decide what he wanted to do with it. Yeah, it's. Uh, have you ever seen the Music Man? Yes. It's, <laughs> it's the Think Method, where you know Harold Hill didn't get anybody instruments. He said, "Just think about playing the instruments, and then you'll be ready for the concert." For our listeners, Dave has a bit of like an OCD thing. Like he needs, he's one of those guys who needs to be perfect. Like things annoy him. Kind of like a carpenter. Dave's not a carpenter, but he's kind of like the one who will walk into a room and like a poorly aligned piece of wood will drive them nuts until they go out to their car, get a tool, rip apart something and come back in and fix it. Dave is that way with this. So he spent a lot of time thinking about what to do here. Is that why you have him over to your house all the time? So that he can see the the little errors? <laughs> I try not to let him look at things too closely at my house. If he comes over, he comes over and he brings a lot more ideas. And I'm one of those guys who starts with a very simple plan for something. Like I start with the square and he turns it into shapes. And that my brother is very much the same way. And sometimes it drives me nuts, but Dave's end product is always pretty good. I mean, this is pretty nice in here. This is better than pretty good. Yes, it's definitely better than pretty good. For any of our guests who have been on the podcast before, it is no longer a black, dark dungeon in our studio. Right. It's it's very comfortable. You know, even with the pandemic still ongoing, I feel comfortable sitting close to you in this room. <laughs> there is plenty of ventilation and it's just an all-around enjoyable experience. I hope that it actually, you know, translates into a nice sounding podcast as well. Right, yeah, maybe maybe we'll be better at the podcast now. I think we'll sound better. I don't think we'll <laughs> perform any better. That is to be seen. By the way, have you, you ever watched Malcolm in the Middle? No, I didn't. Okay, when you were talking about like seeing something and then going out and getting a tool and having to like break down and fix it, there's a great gag where the dad wants to change a light bulb. And so he goes to change the light bulb and he's pulling it out of the tool shed, but he notices one of the shelves is misaligned. So then he goes and he gets his tools and he's trying to get the shelf together, but he's out of nails. So he needs to go to the car, but the car doesn't start because he needs an oil change. And so he's, you know, under the car doing that. And the wife comes out and she goes, aren't you going to change that light bulb? And he's like, what does it look like I'm doing? <laughs> so it just reminded me of that great Malcolm in the Middle joke. 
I think we've stalled long enough to jump yeah, into let's some go. content. Yeah. So uh, the big thing that we're going to talk about in this episode, or not we, but you interviewed Rob Esposito about short-term rentals. Yes. We're going to jump into that interview shortly. But before we do that, we've got some new room tax numbers, and we have some really interesting implications to look at, especially as the new room tax rates are taking effect this year. Looking at the 2021 room tax numbers and seeing, you know, what that might translate into for 2022, I think is kind of unique. So tell me, tell me about the new numbers and and where we stand for 2021. Yeah, well, last year we all saw it. I mean, it looked busy last summer, right? And some people thought way too busy, and it was really busy. The final numbers put room tax up 41 percent for the year, and to put that in perspective. I should say 41% over 2019. When I when I do the the numbers for last year, 2020 isn't like a great comparison because there was the period when we were shut down for COVID early on and the impacts of that. Even though it didn't crush Door County like it did some destinations, it's not really an applicable year. So I look back and compared 2021 to 2019. And so it was up 41% the last full non-COVID year. So, I mean, that's... In a normal year, we'd be talking about, hey, we're up 3%. That's solid. And only a couple of years ago, 2018, 2019, when we would do the annual reports, I think the the quotes at the time, like from Destination Door County was, hey, flat is the new up. You know, we were kind of stagnant for a little bit. Now, I shouldn't say stagnant. That's the wrong word. But it's like... As recently as 2019? Yeah. Growth was only, you know, 3 to 4% was considered, you know, okay, a good wow. year. So to be up 41%. It's pretty staggering. And that 41% represents in pure revenue terms for the lodging industry. In 2019, we made about $94 million from lodging receipts in the county. Last year, we made $138 million. That's insane. Right. And that's before the new room tax rate goes into effect this year. Yes. I want to jump into some of the math on that here in a second. But before we do, Knowing that there's been this big increase, does that translate directly into the number of heads and beds, or is some of that prices going up as well? Is that, there any way to differentiate? The I'm two? glad you asked that question because a lot of people just look at the pure dollars. And for a long time, when we would be up three or four percent, to me that actually indicated that our pure number of visitors was probably actually down because rates were going up faster in Door County, and the price of things were like our visitor has turned you know, from 20 years ago, being a Bud Light and a cheap cocktail visitor spending three to $4 a drink to a craft beer and a craft cocktail visitor who is spending $7 a beer and $12 a drink, you know? So it's a different, in pure dollar terms, it doesn't really tell the story. Last year, the number of room nights filled increased by 112,000 nights for the year. That's more nights than there are in a year. (laughs) (laughs) So when I say 112,000 nights, I'm glad you said that because that just means like each room that's rented where someone spends the night there counts as a night. Right. But that's a staggering number of people. And it's spread out throughout the year. Yes, we were up in July and August, but a huge chunk of that is just that excess. You know, we saw this last winter and last winter and spring where numbers were up. We saw June go up, but then September and October were way up close to 50% up in room nights and in revenue for this year, which is, that means a lot more people are here on week, like weekends have always been packed in the fall. So that means a lot more people stayed here during the weeknights. Right. So let's talk about that number again. How, what was the the gross number for 2021? The $138 million for the entire lodging industry. Right. Okay. Yeah. So then a percentage of that goes to the municipalities as well, right? 
Yeah. So the existing room tax is 5.5%. And of those collections, so that brought in about $7 million last year. Normally it would bring in about 5.1, 5.2 million. So it was way up. And then 30% of that 7 million goes back to municipalities. So the municipalities got a lot more back in their pockets last year too. Then with the new rates this year, let's say we see not an increase of another 50%, but we see the same amount. If it stays the same, how much more money under the new rate does that look like? The, the old rate's 5.5%. This will bring it up to eight. That's 2.5% more. That makes it three, almost $3.5 million more in room tax collections. 30% of that going back to municipalities, the other 70% going to administrative costs, but mostly towards marketing. So 30%, you're looking at another million dollars plus back into our local municipalities. Right. And that's if nothing changes from last year to this year, same amount of people, same, an extra million dollars goes back to the municipalities and they can spend that money however they want. Right. Yeah. It's really stunning. Now I talked to a couple of hotel owners and my question for them is, do you see this as the new baseline for tourism or is this an anomaly? What are you seeing for next year? And most of them that I've talked to are feeling pretty, they feel good, but they're like trying to budget on the conservative side. Like They heard this anecdotally from people that there were a lot more first-time visitors, people who had never been to the county before, but were like, I'm not flying anywhere. I don't feel comfortable flying. I'm not going to Mexico. I'm not going to Europe. So I'm going to just do a drive destination. So we got a lot of new visitors and there's a plus and a downside to that is those might be one-timers. They might return to traveling elsewhere this year. They might have a place that they're comfortable. They might not be coming here for spring break <laughs> if they have a choice to go to Florida or somewhere else. But the the flip side of that is we were introduced to a lot of people and hopefully we're a good destination. They like it. And let's say there were a hundred new people. If one out of 10 of them decide, hey, I love Door County. That's where I'm going from now on. Like that's that's a big boost. And that's that rejuvenates the tourism base because it was only a couple of years ago I was talking to a lot of people saying our customers are literally dying off and we need to replenish this. We need more young people. And we saw that the last couple of years. Right. Did anybody say that nobody's coming to Door County anymore because there's too many people? (laughs) Oddly enough, no. (laughs) The old Yogi Bear line. Nobody goes there. It's too busy. Right. (laughs) Any other takeaways from the, the room tax numbers for this year? Some of the things you saw in the shoulder seasons, say like December, that doesn't represent a huge chunk of the year. But like Sister Bay's revenue doubled for December. And, you know, they had the Chris Kindle market up there. You have more to do in the off season than in probably 10 years ago, even though a lot of restaurants had to close early because they couldn't find staff. That's going to be the big question going forward is can people find the staff to sustain this and not just get worn out and throw up their hands? I mean, we've seen that with some business owners, just like, I'm, I'm just done. I'm out. I can't do it. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, you, you mentioned the Chris Kindle market, but you also have, you know, Sturgeon Bay doing their Christmas stuff, their Fire and Ice Festival. You've got the Winter Games in Fish Creek. Are you, just anecdotally from going to these things, are you seeing more and more draw to those kind of shoulder season festivals as well? I think so. It, it definitely felt that way. I mean, we saw a lot of people up in Sister Bay for Pond Hockey Weekend, what would have been a pretty dead weekend years ago. Winter Games is always a good weekend. It seems like Fire and Ice is busier around the county than it used to be. And I I think that's not so much festival driven, although that's part of it, but it's just that now people have gotten used to, oh yeah, there's a festival. I can go there for a few hours, but there's also other places are open in Door County in the winter. Whereas, you know, like 15 years ago, if you came up here on Winter Games weekend, it's like, yeah, you could have a good time in Fish Creek, but a lot of the other places were just closed down areas. So there's, there's just a little more to do 
and a little more like the quality of the restaurants. I've talked to real estate agents and restaurant owners and across the board, people are telling me that one of the things that's driving this is just the quality of dining up here. People know they can come up here and even if the weather stinks, hey, we can go out and have a really great meal that maybe they can't get very easily in the Green Bay, Fox Valley area where our restaurants are just maybe better than that. Or if you're from Chicago or Milwaukee, you're like, oh, I don't have to give up good food, you know? So right. I think those things, that's what I'm hearing when I talk to people. The other last takeaway I had from this, and, and there's a lot more that just digging into these numbers, but Bailey's Harbor leapt over the village of Egg Harbor in total room tax returns this year. All the communities were way up, but the ones that moved up like Bailey's Harbor, even without adding a major lodging destination surpassed, they moved into the sixth place in the county and the village of Sister Bay surpassed the city of Sturgeon Bay in room tax returns for the year. That's the first time. So Sister Bay is now number two. Gibraltar is number one. Gibraltar almost passed a million dollars in total returns. They are like 998,000. So with late returns, they'll probably pass a million, which gives them another seat on the Tourism Zone Commission. And then Sister Bay, obviously opening of the hotel door, gave them 47 more rooms in the village. Even though they lost the Little Sister Resort, the hotel door just has a much higher nightly rate. So that makes a big impact in their room tax collections. And then the Open Heart Lodge added some rooms. So those are just a couple of things that you saw. And Sturgeon Bay, was the city was way up as well. It's just that Sister Bay was up more. Got it. You know, I will say, even though it seems like there's shoulder seasons, the, the difference between the on-season, the shoulder seasons, and the off-seasons is kind of blurring in the last yeah, couple of years. Yeah, it's not as stark right. as the depression that I remember yeah, I will say years ago. March, I think, is still the off-season. Because on Tuesday, March 1st, I drove all the way from Sturgeon Bay to Sister Bay without seeing another car in my lane, which (laughs) like it's the only time of year that that happens for me. So without further ado, let's jump into your conversation with Rob Esposito. Is there anything that you want to say to kind of tee up your conversation before we jump into it? Yeah, this conversation just grew out of my coverage of Sister Bay's conversation about short-term rental fees and their discussion of potentially charging as much as $2,500 per permit to do a short-term rental in the village of Sister Bay. So Rob had contacted me and he had this, he pointed me to another podcast and I, I wish I could remember the name of it off the top of my head. Yeah, we don't promote other podcasts on the podcast, <laughs> so. No, we, we do. We should. I don't want to knock anybody. Other but, uh, Local ones. Yes. We'll promote local ones. But there's it's a podcast directed specifically at short-term rental owners. And we look at most things in Door County, like we have to invent a solution out of whole cloth. We That's why one of the things I like to do is bring in perspectives from other areas and ideas from other areas so we can just like steal theirs instead of spending years spinning wheels trying to fix something. So he had this idea of, well, you don't have to do it through fees. He said, I think you know, we should be regulated. Short-term rentals should be regulated and they should do that through zoning. So it's something I'm going to explore more further in future news stories, but I wanted to have Rob on just to throw this out there while these towns are having this discussion, just as another idea to put on the table. Awesome. Well, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me and we'll jump into your conversation with Rob next. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about an issue that's top of mind in so many conversations around Door County, and that is short-term rentals. The issues surrounding short-term rentals have been a frequent topic of conversation on this podcast over the last couple of years as municipalities in the county have grappled with how or even whether they should regulate them. This first got heated in Sevastopol almost two years ago when the town proposed limiting vacation rentals to seven-day stays. But since then, the question has moved from one town to the next, with Sister Bay being the latest. 
At a meeting last week, the Village of Sister Bay discussed a potential $2,500 per unit per year fee for short-term vacation rentals. Not unexpectedly, this raised the ire of a lot of short-term rental operators. So today, we welcome an operator of several short-term rentals to the podcast to talk about the issue and what might work to mitigate the other issues communities are having with the industry, what kind of solutions might be out there. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. Rob Esposito, welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. Good to be with you, Miles. Thanks. Rob, we're here to talk about short-term rentals today, and um, you are a short-term rental businessman to some degree. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and your business? Sure. Well, I came to Door County originally in 2012 from the Chicago area when we purchased the Culver's in Sturgeon Bay. I was a Culver's operator. We had three restaurants in the Chicago area. And uh, in 2014, got to the point where I was spending more time up here and was committed to being up in Door County more often, but didn't really have a place to stay. So like a lot of people, was having trouble finding a good place to stay and uh, got very lucky one day, just happened to go on Trulia, found a couple small condos in a former bed and breakfast in downtown Sturgeon Bay that were in my price range. And, you know, long story short, we bought them. One was going to be for us to stay in while we were in Door County. And the other one was going to be for a rental, already was a rental, actually. We were one of the first people at that time to really start doing Airbnb in Door County. I don't know exactly how many listings there were, but we started doing Airbnb with you know one of the rentals full-time and the other one when we weren't there. But we immediately were really impressed with, you know, wow, we can just put this up there and people are going to rent it out. And we you know just started going more in that direction where we would try to find a different place to stay when we were in Door County because we would rather rent our place out. <laughs> so <laughs> moving forward, we ended up selling the Culver's a few years later mainly because we wanted to focus more on the short-term rental side of things. We, we enjoyed running that business a little bit more. To backtrack a little bit, we also opened the Jimmy John's restaurant in Sturgeon Bay in 2017. So that makes me very popular in Dark County. I brought both short-term rentals and chain restaurants to the county. <laughs> you are the one. <laughs> <laughs> very popular. It, just backtracking a second there, like you get rid of Culver's, but then you go to Jimmy John's. Was there like a did you miss restaurants or what made you go back into it? We actually briefly owned them both at the same time. Okay. So we sold the Culver shortly after we opened the Jimmy John's. We have a wonderful operator there, Taylor Anschutz, who runs a great restaurant. Uh, you know, So we've been not as involved in that restaurant as we were with the Culver's. But uh, you know, for us, short-term rentals, it's not an easy business to run by any means. But I, I know you were in restaurants for a while too yourself. Yeah, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. it's a grind. Know, it, it's hard to do that. It's a grind. It's hard to do that for a long time. And uh, I love Culver's, man. Great Wisconsin brand. But I'm pretty happy not to have to do that day to day anymore. So we briefly did that at the same time, but we really just shifted our focus personally to short term rentals. I feel like Culver's and Sturgeon Bay is a, a lot of pressure. That might be one of the busiest restaurants in town. <laughs> it's got to be pretty close. 
hey, I still love it. Just just a great place. So back on topic here. What? Well, actually, maybe I'll digress a little bit more. A little bit more about like what brought you to Door County then? You said you were coming up here sporadically. Then you invest. You invested in uh, property before you moved here, correct? Am I getting my timeline correct? Yeah, we moved here full time in 2017. So we had three years where we had our, our little condos. But, you know, like a lot of people, my family has been coming to Door County for, I mean, at this point, probably 50 years before I was born. Uh, my aunt and uncle had a little place on uh, Lakeshore Road in Jacksonport, and my parents have had a place on Lakeshore Road in Jacksonport for almost 30 years now. So we've always been Door County people. We actually were introduced to Culver's here in Door County, and that's how that journey started, opening franchises in the Chicago area and kind of coming full circle to being able to purchase the one up here in 2012. Uh, which we took over the Friday of Memorial Day weekend, having no idea what we were in store for. Yeah, that was that, <laughs> that was, was smart. Interesting, <laughs> interesting introduction to Door County. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing about a lot of people when they open restaurants up here, they tend to go like, "Okay, I'll just start the season," and you're starting from scratch with all new employees usually, and uh, that Memorial Day really kicks you in the butt. Baptism by fire. Yeah, it's fun though. So you know, you talk about being one of the first to be using Airbnb up here, and Airbnb was pretty new at that time too. What did you experience right away? I mean, did it just like, you just saw this thing, your booking just, especially in season, I'm guessing, going really well, really fast. And then you thought, well, this might be a bigger thing than I thought. Yeah, I remember that like putting it up there and within, I want to say within the first 24 or 48 hours, I had the first ding on my phone, two nights day, you know, 300 bucks or whatever it was. And uh, we were just like, holy, holy cow. Like this is a, a lot easier than, uh, you know, swinging butter burgers. <laughs> and, you know, we just, we just kind of got a, like addicted to that, that little notification on the phone that someone had booked our place, which, you know, led us to staying a little bit more. My wife and I see up in Jacksonport with my parents instead of staying at our, you know, condo. But, um, you know, it was a lot less competition at that point. I don't know exactly how many listings there were, but, you know, it's almost eight years ago now. There just wasn't anything like it was now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think if you go back to, 2007, 2008, I think maybe it's right around 2010, 2011. I can't remember the exact year, but it was something like 400 to 450 units listed on vacation rental sites. And now it's in the 1500 range. And some of that's a little Uh tough to parcel out because some of them are listed on multiple sites. So it's kind of a doubling of the number in some cases, but yeah, a, a lot more growth now, a lot more competition in the industry. And it took, you know, Door County wasn't ready to grapple with that. Even three years ago, people were saying, I think naively, we're saying like, oh, this isn't that big of an impact on communities or the housing market. It's, it's still pretty small. And then it was like, you have the tourism zone saying it, it's up past 20% of our bookings now. And now it's creeping up. By, I think it's above 30% of all bookings in the county are some form of vacation rental home as opposed to lodging. Sure. And I think, well, I know based on my personal experience, let's face it, everyone had a great year last year and uh, even 2020 was surprisingly good for a lot of people not so good for others but pretty good for a lot of people and i think you know we all know that habits have changed drastically and um, there's no doubt that people are looking for vacation rentals more and more it's not just the growth of airbnb and that brand recognition i mean people's habits changed and how they want to travel has changed well that's a, a point that i want to talk about a little bit is people see this as like well this is moving in and if we just got rid of it people would go to hotels And I'm not sitting here trying to be a voice for vacation rentals by any means, but there is that thing you just touched on is like people expect to travel differently now. When my wife and I went on our honeymoon to Costa Rica seven years ago, we stayed in three different Airbnbs in three different communities and had a wonderful experience. We didn't stay in a single hotel. 
we might also be a little cheap on that, but <laughs> there's, so people are looking for different things. So it's not just a matter of like, these are bad things that are taking away from hotels there and the numbers bear this out, like that they are adding to the breadth of offerings that people are expecting. Am I, is my characterization there accurate from what you're seeing from your customers? Yeah, definitely. And kind of on that note, like what people are looking for, or at least how it started, I guess is more of that like local experience where they want to mm-hmm. know their host and maybe they want to meet their host. And there was a certain novelty to that when it started. And uh, even for us as hosts, we like, we really enjoyed meeting people and then it, it became about the money. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's worn off a little bit in that like, we don't get as many people like wanting to, to meet us while we're there, but you know, there's still some of that. And it's something we've tried to navigate like very carefully is how do we keep up this personalized local feel that people want without entirely, you know, being at everyone's beck and call. So, you know, where can we, you know, optimize or where can we automate some simple things, but still give people the best, you know, experience that they're expecting with a, with a local host. So it's definitely changed, especially the more and more competition has come in. And for us, especially we struggle with is just, we have, I mean, we're not the biggest, as far as Airbnb goes, I think we have more reviews and probably have hosted more people than anyone in Door County, but we're not a huge vacation rental management company like uh, Door County, sorry, Rent Door County or uh, Lundquist or those guys. You know, we only pretty much manage our own properties, but we struggle still with what we have of just having great communication and answering specific questions, even though we provide recommendations. Sometimes people want to know, like, you know, where's the best place to go in Egg Harbor, you know, in April when you know, what's open, what's not, and really wanting those specific answers, like we struggle at scale to provide that for people. How many units do you have now? Because you've actually gone to the extent of building new buildings for the purpose of vacation rentals. How many are you up to at this point? We have about 13 separate units that we manage that are either with myself or my, uh, my family or investors. And then we have one unit, one house in Bailey's Harbor, right near your office that we, we manage for someone else completely. But other than that, we're self-managing for our own properties. Okay. So quite a difference there. And, and that's kind of a, a story of the evolution of, of this industry as a whole. When I mentioned going to Costa Rica, I think two of the three places that we stayed in, we stayed with the owner was there on site, actually living mm-hmm. in a wing of the house. And well, one of them, the owner was there. The other one, the owner was there, but it was also above a bar. <laughs> we, were, we wanted to keep our, our commute from the bar home short. But now, yeah, it's evolved in general. And I think this is what municipalities are struggling to keep up with. And, and it is tough when there's not like any sort of, you know, it's a new industry. It's a new type of business. And now you have all these small towns who, you know, especially in Door County where, and this is no knock on the municipalities. It's just that local government has gotten so much more complicated and hard to keep up in general. And now you have this new industry thrown at you and people are saying, you got to do something about this. So it's really hard for them on a town by town basis to figure out the, the appropriate way to do it. And that's what everyone's trying to do. And you've been watching this and we've had a couple of conversations and message threads over time, but like what kind of on a broad level, when you look at some of the issues that have come up here, I mean, which ones do you think have validity and not when it comes to the short-term rental issue? So I think that, well, first of all, I would say that the most important thing for me is local control and to a certain extent zoning. There's no doubt about it. Like we're, we're operating commercial businesses and we should have clarity on where we're allowed to operate those so that we can do it 
the right way, especially like you said, it's, it's grown so quick and people are trying to get their hands around it. So there's plenty of, uh, you know, examples around the country of municipalities who have figured out uh, a good way to handle it while, you know, focusing on what they need to protect about their communities. So for us personally, you know, we've decided that we're only going to put short-term rentals where we would say it's appropriate. I live in Surgeon Bay and as of right now, they are allowed everywhere in Surgeon Bay, residential communities or not, but we've made a pledge to not put them in a residential community in Surgeon Bay at any point. We think residential communities should be just that. You should know your neighbors uh, and there's a sense of community and trust and safety that goes along with that. And like I said, it's a commercial business. So it really, in my opinion, does not have a place in a residential neighborhood. Now, you look further north, really none of our communities have offered a lot of clarity yet other than Sevastopol. But if you look further north, there might be a little bit more gray area to that. I mean, I think there's some areas you would expect to see a short-term rental, or really you have seen short-term rentals in Door County way before Airbnb and Verbo became a big thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's reasonable for our communities to find a way for those things to continue to operate there if they make sense. I'm thinking, you know, homes on the lake uh, where there's a lot of seasonal people anyways, you know, uh, those types of scenarios, I think is going to be more appropriate to see short-term rental as long as, you know, certain safety guidelines are met and permitting guidelines are met. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that, uh, what does Sebastopol end up coming down on? They came down with a one rental every six nights, if I have that right? I believe one rental every six or seven nights. Yeah. But yeah, you've, you've got the spirit of it there. And I think, I think it's unfortunate that Sylvester doesn't, I know they're, they're one of the communities that does not have zoning authority. Like Sister Bay is talking about it right now. They do have zoning authority. Mm-hmm. So Sylvester could not be surgical in where they allowed it. Though I think it's entirely reasonable to like expect a vacation rental at certain places, like for instance, along Bayshore Drive in Sylvester, that's not entirely unreasonable. And to be clear, they're not you know, disallowed anymore. But like you said, they have a, a minimum stay requirement. And uh, a lot of operators have been upset that that's going to torpedo their business or they're not going to be able to survive on that. And that might be true. You know, you can survive on that during the season, but if you're hoping to have off-season rentals, I mean, even when you get into September, October, even though we're still very busy, you know, if you can't do it for two or three days, you're probably not going to do it at all. Right. This isn't... Uh what you might see in some of the coastal areas in the, on the East Coast or even, I know, in southwest Michigan, getting anything for less than a week at a time is pretty tough to come by. Door County just hasn't had that in large part because we have so many hotel rooms that demanding a seven-night rental is tough to, to hold to. Sure. When you talk about zoning then, so you, you look at what different communities have tried to do to regulate this, and there's multiple reasons for regulating short-term rentals. There are some short-term rental operators who just think, why are you regulating this at all? This is private property rights. I'm, I'm curious what your kind of response to that is. What's your feeling on that kind of take? Well, you know, like I said before, it's a, it's a commercial business. I also own a restaurant, but I wouldn't think it would be appropriate for a restaurant to operate in a residential neighborhood. One of the times it really kind of hit home for me is when I thought someone was going to be putting a short-term rental in my neighborhood and my visceral, like immediate reaction was, well, they can't do that. <laughs> and I was like, well, check yourself for a second. And actually, it turns out in my neighborhood, we have a deed-restricted community. You can't do that, but not everyone has that. And, you know, Surgeon Bay is home now. Like, <laughs> there's certain areas where it just shouldn't happen. And putting myself in other people's shoes, well, what would there be? What would their reaction be if, you know, they bought into a residential area and they wound up with a rotating cast of characters? 
Now, I think this like meme of like the party house or like the crazy parties and all this stuff, I think that's a little bit overblown. Knock on wood, like I've had so few issues. It's actually kind of astounding how few issues I have had with like party houses or disturbances with guests. I mean, I've been really fortunate. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, it, maybe it's just the type of rentals I have, but I think, you know, for the most part, people are respectful and you get good renters and you should, you know, you should definitely set expectations for them. The tourism zone has a good neighbor policy and just, you know, you should really make it clear where you're staying and you have neighbors and all that stuff. But that's not always going to be the case. And there's certainly a bit of uncertainty or maybe lack of safety that goes along with, well, I, I didn't buy in a residential neighborhood to end up next to a hotel. Mm-hmm. Like I said, this is this kind of a clear-cut thing in Sturgeon Bay where we have clear zoning and some of it's residential and we have neighborhoods and they should be neighborhoods. You know, I don't even know exactly what Sister Bay, who's looking at it right now, should do, but definitely they have residential zoning and they have areas that are definite neighborhoods. So, you know, that's just something I think they have to consider is I think the goal here is to protect residential neighborhoods. A lot is talked about like the lack of affordable housing. I don't think that is a problem created by short-term rentals. But let's face it, if a house that you know should be or was designed to be a residential home comes off the market to be a short-term rental, I mean, that's one less home. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. It didn't create the issue, but it's not helping. Right. Single-family homes shouldn't be, in general, turned into financial products. It's, you know, people are having a hard enough time affording things as it is. It, it just doesn't seem right to me. Well, you just mentioned there, there's a report in the Washington Post last week that uh, in the major metro areas, the 40 largest metro areas, one in seven home sales went to investors who don't intend to live in those homes. And that doesn't just mean vacation rentals. This means all sorts of different investment opportunities, but that's gone up substantially of late. And they don't look at places as small as Door County, but anyone who's talked to a home seller or realtor or a neighbor knows that the same thing is happening to a large extent here. I could take you through the the laundry list of homes that I I rented at over the years that have been that are now vacation rentals. So it, it is like you said it is taking some of those vacation rentals or starter homes out of the marketplace for rentals and you for, for good reason like if you're a buyer and you find this house that's there's not many of these anymore but if you found a house for 175 to 200,000 you can pretty easily make those numbers work as a short-term rental and say well I've got this great I've got this house, this property also at, and I can rent this thing out and cover my costs pretty easily. And it's, it's not just that, but the more the house prices are inflated, the fewer homes are going to make sense as long-term rentals. Mm-hmm. So people who are buying them, if they're going to get a return on their investment, they're going to have to look to short-term rentals. You know, as you know, I like to spend some time on Twitter and I can tell you that, and I'm part of this community, there's a you know, large community of real estate investors that interact on Twitter. And specifically, there's a, you know, a growing interest in short-term rentals. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing. These people are not bad people. They're not doing anything wrong. They're very specifically looking for places they can do this with like regular clarity. Reg- hmm. Yeah. So where they know what the regulations are and they can you know do it with a clear conscience and know they're not going to get shut down. So I think that's what, you know, in order for people to want to invest in short-term rentals, that's what they want. They want to know where they can do them, where they can do them legally. You know, I think most short-term rental operators in Door County would agree with that. And you know, most of them are permitted already and pay their taxes and room tax and all that stuff. And that's all true and good. But if we don't protect our residential communities and we do allow them literally everywhere, I think you're going to see a lot more of that investment money seeking out returns. And it might 
go into residential communities. And, you know, it's not just reducing the stock. I just, single family homes in residential areas, I don't, they should not be financialized products. You know, (laughs) not everything has to be about a return when it comes to someone being able to afford a home. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people listening that would probably agree with you on that. You know, and these municipalities then, they're faced with this, you know, they're getting some of the backlash from the short-term rental operators, but they're also getting the backlash from this confluence of issues that's going on is there's the the neighborly issue that, that we've touched on a lot already about like these businesses operating in residential neighborhoods, but there's those other pressures that are maybe correlated to this, but not quite as clear cut. And that's, like you said, they have the affordable renting opportunities, the affordable home opportunities that it's not quite a one-to-one, like we have to regulate this because this will solve the affordable housing problem, but it's part of it, right? So you have what Sevastopol tried to do, and that was largely about neighborhoods. Sister Bay, a good chunk of that is about, and for the listeners who are unfamiliar, in Sister Bay, they proposed a fee of $2,500 per year per unit with that money, a good chunk of that money then going to supporting affordable housing investments in the community. So they're trying to go, all right, we're going to trade you the, uh, we're going to, we're going to take some money off the backs of the short-term rentals and put it toward affordable housing to compensate for the loss of some of those homes. And, you know, there are other communities that have done other sorts of limits. There are some that treat them like liquor licenses where there are only so many short-term rental licenses available and which kind of would drive up the cost of those, those licenses or the the demand for those licenses. I, I don't know if you've looked at those, Rob, and what you think of those. Yeah. And I think I shared some of this with you kind of prior uh, to us talking, but you know, one great example, like I said, there's lots of communities across the entire country that have started to tackle this issue. One great instance is uh, Arlington, Texas. So, you know, obviously much bigger than Door County, much different market and probably a lot more residential neighborhoods to protect, but they have prohibited short-term rentals in single family residential neighborhoods but they've carved out specific areas where they are allowed in addition to, you know, like your, your multi, your mixed use, your commercial, your like Egg Harbor has recreational. I think you can kind of expect those things in those areas mm-hmm. and there's really nothing wrong with it, but they've carved out a specific STR zone, they call it, uh, which would be like near the Dallas Cowboys stadium and the Texas mm-hmm. Rangers stadium. And there's, I guess there's amusement parks, but they've carved out a one mile radius that they call their STR zone. So, you know, that's something in the, in the, I don't know, but maybe the villages and towns and cities that do have zoning authority, it, maybe that's something they can look into. Like I said, there's, I think there's places where it's obviously appropriate. And in addition to not just commercial or mixed use, but maybe, maybe they can call out those areas because I don't think we want to fall behind changing preferences of travelers for better or worse. You know, we rely so much on the tourist dollar. So like it's a, it's a part of the mix and a growing part of the mix that tourists are looking for. And um, I know sometimes uh, everyone likes to complain a little bit, myself included, but, you know, it's a great place to live. And I know we don't want it to change overnight, but it's going to change a little bit. But, you know, man, (laughs) for the six, seven years I've been here and especially the four or five years I've lived here full time, I just I've grown to love it more and more and more. So I don't think it's all doomsday and, 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 you know, Door County is never going to be the same. I just think it's getting better and better. But, you know. It's a, it's a reasonable thing to to expect that our residential communities stay residential communities and we just provide some clarity on keeping things reasonable for, for short-term rentals and not every community becomes a, a transient neighborhood. And some people might say like, well, what if my whole neighborhood wants to 
we're, we're zoned residential, but now we want to be a rental neighborhood and all the people there want to. That's the one thing about the, the zoning thing that's pretty interesting is if you do it through zoning, you can apply for a zoning change and even an individual homeowner could. And then, then your neighbors would get to weigh in and they could either say yes or no, or maybe a whole neighborhood would say, yes, we want to change because we w- we're basically all vacation rental places anyway. So there would be at least a public hearing and an opportunity in a situation like that. Whereas right now, someone just one day you walk outside and your neighbor's house has a, a for rent sign on it or a, or a vacation rental sign on it. So there are some other benefits to it as well. Unfortunately, I think a lot of what we're doing in Door County in, in much of the same way we approach housing is trying to figure out totally from scratch how to do this. It seems like there are a lot of solutions out there. Kind of along with what you just said, Galveston, Texas is another one. They have something called R0 zoning, where 75% of residents in a neighborhood can petition the city council for this type of zoning in which no new short-term rentals, no matter what, whether it's whole house, investor-owned, owner-occupied, are allowed, though I think they do grandfather people in. So this allows the communities or even the individual neighborhoods to you know, kind of decide their own path. And I think you know, you're going to find most residential neighborhoods are going to want to go that path. But, you know, there may be some areas, like I said, I'm thinking lake homes, stuff like that. I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing I'll harp on is that the individual communities know best what they want. I don't know what's best for Sister Bay, Bailey's Harbor. It's all going to be a little bit different. But to the extent that they have zoning, I think they can be surgical and they can get a balancing act there where they allow it where it's appropriate and they don't allow it where maybe it's not appropriate or where people don't want it. And it also avoids a one-size-fits-all approach that maybe leaves too many people unhappy about it. And that maybe is what happened in Sevastopol, but they didn't really have any other choice because they don't have that zoning authority. So, like, Sevastopol has zoning, but they fall under county zoning. And so yeah. for, the, for the listeners who are unfamiliar with the uh, boring minutia of zoning rules in Door County, you basically got your villages, Sister Bay, Forestville, Village of Egg Harbor, anything that's a village, and the city of Sturgeon Bay will have their own zoning authority. And then basically everybody else that is left up to county zoning because it's incredibly cumbersome for each for small towns to have zoning oversight. There are some that have proposed doing that. Town of Gibraltar has looked at doing it in the past and trying to pull out of county zoning, but it's that's not an easy it's easier said than done. You're you're basically gonna make your your town offices a much more complicated local office. I knew you would know more about that than me with all the county and village and wonderful board meetings that you get to report <laughs> on. <laughs> ton of fun. Ton of fun. Really, <laughs> what I really enjoy is going to a meeting in one town and then uh, reporting on it. And then three weeks later, going to a meeting in another community and see, hearing them have the same discussion without learning anything from the other town. I really enjoy those. <laughs> but enough about my sob story. In any case, that's how the zoning works. Town of Egg Harbor actually has no zoning. They are not. Well, I shouldn't say that. They they kind of have some of their own rules, but they do not have, they're not part of county zoning, but they're not like full village zoning either. And it's kind of a, a weird quirk that I don't quite understand. Mariah Good would have to come on the podcast and inform me of, and, and our listeners why that is. You didn't learn enough about that with the uh, Dollar General fiasco, did you? <laughs> no, <laughs> which is going to come back around soon, I'm, I'm sure. Anything else you want to talk about here, Rob, while I got you? You know, I would just, I would reiterate that uh, as far as affordable housing, I don't think short-term rentals are the cause of the problem, lack of affordable housing. You know, you could not build affordable housing right now, or even for quite a while now, but especially right now, if you wanted to. It's not developer greed. It's not anything like that. I'd love to build it. If I could figure out how to build it, I can't figure out how to build it. Uh, Hmm. 
maybe there's some very enterprising people with solutions coming down the line and maybe it's somewhat prefed homes that are going to come down the line. I don't know, but I don't think short-term rentals are creating that issue. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if an affordable house comes off the market in a residential neighborhood, it's not helping the issue. So I might not be terribly popular with my fellow short-term rental operators because of that, but you know, it is, it is what it is. I, I do feel pretty good about staying out of residential neighborhoods and I, that's something we're going to continue to do. Uh, I think to the extent they can, I think the municipalities should, you know, try to approach it to provide some clarity on what can and can't be done so that people who want to do it can, can do it the right way. I think people want to comply with the rules, whatever they are and, and, and play fair. Uh, and I think most importantly, there is a growing demand for short-term rentals. People want to travel different. They want that experience. They want that type of place where they're alone or they can stay with their family or whatever it is. And I think it's going to be an important part of our lodging mix for a long time to come. So we definitely do not want to snuff them out. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I just think we want to make sure, just like any other business, that there's clear, defined rules that everyone can play by and uh, you know that it should be a welcome part of what we do in Door County. And, you know, I think that we can accomplish that. All right, Rob, thanks for joining me on the podcast. All right, thanks, Bob. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.